All right, so in this episode, what I wanna do is talk about something a little bit different. I'm gonna talk about game development, more specifically AAA game development, and more specifically sort of what it's like to be a creative or an artist, and again, have to work in these industries. I'm gonna use something that is in the current news cycle, which is Baldur's Gate 3, and some of the drama controversy that has been turned into sort of fancy headlines over that, because I think it's a good way to sort of get a window into the, some of the issues that you might you know, have to deal with as a, a sort of person working on the front lines, on the ground, um, in one of these big studios. And again, I think this topic in general is kind of just, you know, sort of interesting and, and it offers a lot of insight into the creative process itself. Welcome to the Visual Scholar Podcast. My name's Tim McBurney. I've been a professional working artist for over 20 years, much of that in game development, much of that in AAA game development. And on this show, we're all about demystifying the worlds of art, creativity and productivity so that you can get better faster and enjoy your artistic journey. So as background, Baldur's Gate 3 dropped and it's been liked. Everyone loves it. It's received, you know, almost universal praise. It's one of the highest rated games. Everyone loves this game. It is a really sort of big, kind of old school style RPG. It's epic, it's huge, and that's kind of its claim to fame, that it has this massive scope. But, you know, in general, it seems like it was a game that had a lot of good creative vision. It had a great team. They put a lot of effort and, you know, time and energy into this. And again, you know, they made a really, really good game. So from the game reviewer, game press side of things, and, you know, probably like the game uh side of the equation here a lot of people are just kind of saying like hey this game's great why can't we get more like this and the there has been some interesting pushback from developers kind of publicly saying on twitter etc that like hey we don't want this new game um to be a new benchmark for like how big every game needs to be in order to be successful because that's something that often happens right you know one game succeeds it does this thing and then you know everyone kind of has to copy that thing because that's like the new hot uh, feature, right? The new thing that is being successful. So there's been some sort of pushback by developers there, and it creates this interesting conversation about, like, you know, how these big games and projects that we work on as artists kind of get their creative direction, and a lot of the tensions there that can be very frustrating, basically for everyone. I think this issue of creativity as it pertains to these large companies, these large projects is super interesting and something I've been dealing with for a long time. As I said, I've been working in these industries for over 20 years. And again, I find this stuff super, super interesting. And I think it is really worthwhile as an artist, even if you're just a grunt on the ground, you know, doing very minor production tasks, the more you can understand this and the more you can understand, you know, what you actually get to do in some of these companies and how these, you know, decisions get made and what to look out for, what to avoid, what to look for in a, uh, you know, potential company that you want to work for. These are all really, really important topics. And again, I found the more I understand this, the more I kind of am able to navigate to sort of, you know, better waters, let's say, in the creative industries. All right, so a little bit more, I guess, background on, on this idea and sort of where I'm coming from here. I think that one of the things we have to understand is that looking at these large companies is there's always this inherent sort of creative power dynamic between the people with the money and the people who are on the creative side and also by proxy kind of the end consumer, right? There's often this dance between these three people and 
ideally all our incentives are aligned, right? Everyone wants to make a good game. Good games are things that sell. And that's what people with a whole bunch of money who are investing in these projects want, right? They want lots of sales, but it's easy for these things to, you know, sort of lose their way, let's say. But there's always, I think, an inherent power dynamic and struggle between the different sort of people on the production chain, people on the money side, the executive side who are sort of sitting there trying to figure out how to make more money out of their money, how to manage these things at a very high level. And then again, you have the idea of your sort of director, your creative head, the person really with sort of who's meant to have at least the vision for what the whatever project you're working on is. And then you're going to have these sort of project leads, right? The people who are, you know, departments of particular parts of making the game, the software side, the art side, um, gameplay side, etc. And then there's all the people actually do it. All the people actually make the game, right? Um, people working in production, you know, just sort of doing stuff all day, every day. I think there's inherently, you know, situations where it's easy for everyone's incentives not to become aligned, which basically means we're all kind of trying to do different things to really serve our own interests. And I think that's normally where things kind of fall apart. But it's important to understand again, before we proceed, that making a game of any kind, let alone a AAA game, is extremely challenging. And it's not something that just happens. It really requires, you know, everyone to do just the right things in just the right order, especially if you get this thing done on time. It's not some situation where there's a formula for how this thing works. It's extremely challenging. And you could sort of say that there's, you know, a few ways to succeed and there's many, many ways to fail. And we can see all of the successful games and the failed games as a good example of that. There's probably more ways to make a bad game than there is to make a good one. I mean, as an example, you know, from my experience and again, something that might not be, you know, something that's on your radar if you're, you know, not a professional artist or, you know, if you're just sort of starting out is, you know, the market for pre-development, right, pre-production sort of ideas and projects that, you know, don't even get off the ground, companies that don't even get, you know, make it um, is huge, right? There's there's almost probably more money in starting companies that don't end up going anywhere, starting game ideas that don't end up going anywhere, creating concept art, prototypes for all these things. You know, it, it has been said to me before, and I really believe this, that if you look at all the money that goes into production of sort of games, films, anything in the entertainment arena, right? If you look at everything on Netflix, everything that comes out of Hollywood, every game that comes out, the amount of money that went into those things, right? is probably surpassed by the amount of money that went into other things that didn't actually end up getting made. So the actual market for things that kind of don't go anywhere is actually larger than the market for things that do go somewhere, which again, just speaks to the complexity and the challenge. And that certainly has played out from my career. If you look at the number of projects I've been paid, you know, well to work on that just didn't go anywhere and got canceled for a million various reasons, some to do with the fact that you know, that project or game uh, ran out of funding, right? It just kind of was the wrong time, wrong place, wrong country, wrong mix of stuff. Sometimes the game itself sucked and so it didn't go anywhere. Sometimes these things just sort of get lost in development hell, right? There's so many reasons why these things don't get made. Some of them are because the product is just not good. The team couldn't come together. The company couldn't really create 
um, a synergy that became greater than the sum of its parts, let's say. And sometimes it's just because, uh, you know, some other film or thing comes out that's got that same type of thing in it and it bombs. And then everything that's similar to that for the next 10 or 15 years just gets completely dead, right? It's just like that production's over. Someone else tried this, it failed. So we're all frightened and uh, the money tap goes off and we just put it in a drawer and everyone goes off and does something else, right? Um, it's very challenging to make these things work and, you know, that's borne out from my experience, right? All right. So I guess the big question here or the thing that we're all trying to figure out really and, and what this is, what I'm really talking to here is what makes a good game? What makes a good entertainment product? And why is it so hard? We, it's easy to say, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> no kidding. Why is it hard? And, you know, how can we maybe control this or, or maybe also just understand not just what makes a good one, but what makes a project good to work on as an artist, as someone who's just working in the trenches on these things. Um, now, I'm obviously an artist and I'm going to come at this from an artistic point of view. So that, that's my sort of perspective. And I have a little bit of perspective, as I said, from the sort of production standpoint, just from experience and developing other products that are, you know, not as complex as a AAA game, but again, having to project manage smaller things and, and understand, look, you know, stuff happens, right? It, it's easy to lose your vision. And I think that's why I really believe fundamentally that to a certain degree, you need a good person at the top, right? With a good vision who really knows where they're going and can see sort of the finished product to a certain degree um, in the beginning and can direct everyone in the right direction. I think that the idea of an auteur director, an auteur sort of game director, film director, someone who is at the top, has a really strong idea of what we're trying to create, where we're going, why it's going to be good, is really vital. And uh, again, that's something that probably a lot of the more sort of executive money side of things uh, likes to sort of disagree with. Because the bottom line is a lot of this is about power. As we're working in these things, we have a lot of kinetic energy, a lot of monetary kinetic energy going on. And the real question is always like, well, yeah, how do we make this good um, as opposed to bad, obviously? And I think it's very challenging to understand and realize that many of these things do just come down to someone having a good, strong vision and then being able to marshal a team, a large team to kind of execute that vision. That's very challenging. But that's sort of, you know, a big part of what I think is important. I think you do need someone with vision, uh, you know, whatever that looks like. It may be one person, a few people, uh, who knows. But the vision is the most important thing because that's what will allow you to have a chance of creating something good. It's also important to understand that, look, some of these auteur directors that are sort of famous in Hollywood for yelling at people and being real hard asses to work with, look, some of them are control freaks, right? And that they won't give away control. But a good part of, you know, many, you know, good directors and people who have that creative vision that I've sort of worked with, a really good trait is often they are actually quite good at giving um, out creative control to people underneath them and, and managing that creative energy. That's often a big reason why these, um, you know, companies can succeed well. It's not just a matter of saying, I have a vision, you know, I am God, do what I say. It's a matter of saying, I have a vision and, you know, I'm going to use all of the resources under me to help me do that. And a lot of that is giving the people who are on the ground some form of creative control, giving them some ownership of the work in some way, shape or form so that, um, again, you know, everyone's putting their heart and soul into these projects. Everyone's putting 100% in. I think 
what you understand as a creative is, you know, if people don't feel that ownership, if they don't feel connected to the project, if they don't believe in that vision and understand where everyone's going, then they're not going to put in 100%. And that's often a big part of the problem. Now, as I said, in a perfect world, everyone's incentives are aligned, right? In a perfect world, the people who are putting in the money want to create a good product and the people who are going to purchase the product, purchase the game, watch the movie, do the thing, they want it to be good, right? They want to pay their money and the better the product, the more people pay money, the more the money people get the money, right? Obviously, it's like really simple to understand that in an ideal world, everyone's trying to do the same thing, but that's not always the case. And again, I think that's a big part of what I want to try and dig into here is like what happens when these incentives become misaligned and kind of how you can spot it and potentially, again, try and manage those issues as just someone who's kind of working on the ground. You know, probably the last 10 years has been littered with many of these, um, you know, sort of examples, right? I think loot boxes is a great example in video games, for instance. And again, and again you may or may not have any idea what I'm talking about if, if you're not into games. But uh, loot boxes is a same essentially like sort of trading cards or, um, you know, sort of gambling, right? It's a way to kind of extract money from people by getting them to buy like a trading card, like a hidden box of loot, right? And you pay the money for it. And then you have a gambling style um, casino, um, sort of poker machine style thing where a bunch of, uh, you know, noises happen and then bang, your loot comes out and like, oh, what did I get? Oh, nothing, not that much. Okay, maybe I'll buy another one to get some more. Um, so it's basically just sort of hijacking dopamine um, and gambling um, addiction, essentially, um, in order to extract money from people who thought they were kind of going there to play a game. Um, and again, you can argue whether that's right or wrong. I mean, I obviously have almost zero interest in that from a creative standpoint. It seems pretty morally bankrupt to me. And I think that's a good example of where you can see that the incentives can become you know, misaligned, right? Because there are ways to extract money from people that are not necessarily always about making a good product. Okay, so hopefully that lays a bit of foundation or background, some insight into, you know, how things can obviously go wrong. I think it's not just always that people set out, however, to create these bad incentive structures and to kind of, you know, create these really rubbishy ways of making money out of games or other entertainment. It's more often that you know, you might find things are actually going well, and then for some reason they kind of start to go wrong. And it's the attempt to fix those by, you know, people with sort of big ideas, chasing the latest hot trends, and, you know, looking at other ways people are making money and kind of saying, hey, let's just do that. I think it's really worthwhile viewing like a company or like let's view it as like an ideal or a functional company that is able to produce things, that is able to kind of turn vision into a product, let's say. I think I really view these more as like a, an organic organism, right? It is like a living thing. And I think with a complex system like that, something that has multiple moving parts and they all kind of work together in a good way, Often there's many ways that these systems can kind of essentially get sick is a good way to kind of carry the metaphor forward. And the question then is like, if something's wrong, what do you do about it? It's frequently the case that we will have companies and you may have worked at companies that were kind of doing well in one way or for a certain amount of time and then something changes, someone leaves, there's a new sort of arrangement, um, someone has a different idea. 
who knows what it is. Often companies that just grow too big can, you know, really run into trouble. They get to a certain scale. Maybe they get too much money. Who knows what it is? Um, but, you know, there's lots of ways that these complicated company structures, these organisms kind of, you know, go bad. And I, again, I think it is worthwhile thinking about them as if this is like an illness, this is something wrong. And you kind of have to fix it. The question is how? So often the way I would describe it is that when we look at sort of the executive branch of these companies coming in to try and make decisions that the publisher level, they really are often trying to do this kind of invasive medicine, right? Like it's more like kind of crazy surgery. And it's more a matter of fixing symptoms and not necessarily fixing causes. Often it is quite tricky to know what's actually wrong. And if you just go around sort of chopping limbs off and doing crazy stuff, trying to change the business model, trying to sort of think about, okay, like what's wrong? How do we change this surface level thing? Um, then we can extract more money out of this. Often, again, I think the problems are more systemic. They're more a matter of sort of company culture. Again, something really simple, like the company gets too big and the previous structure, the way it worked, what people liked about it kind of changes. Again, there's a number of these things that can happen. Um, and again, they all lead to the same thing, which is basically the magic is not there. You know, what's happening is people don't, they no longer feel that passion and that drive and as if everyone is sort of driven towards the same type of vision. And again, I think fixing these is exceedingly challenging because it is a complicated system. And I'd probably go so far as to say that it's it's almost like a lot easier to start a new company, a new organism and kind of start from scratch and let it grow properly with the new people in place, the new structures. Um, it, it allows them to kind of organically grow. This is where often what you have is you know, the core people will leave from a company and go start a new one. And you have like the spiritual successor to a particular movie or game or film or whatever, where you can see that, you know, these people were, you know, able to create one thing at one company. And then they sort of took that same culture and, and created it elsewhere, right? It's almost that organism, again, replicating itself. Fixing the old one is, I think, very, very challenging. And often the people who are there to fix it, who kind of know what the problem is, don't often have the power to fix it. So that's where often you get these kind of really bad decisions being made, I think, where something's not quite right. This either game is not coming out on time, it, the quality is not good enough. Maybe it comes out, it's not as good as it was. And again, the fix is often to, you know, sell it to someone, allow them to kind of rearrange the cost structure. Um, you know, and it sort of changed the business model. And often it's a matter of overlaying, you know, like whatever is new and hot in terms of business models at that time to try and, again, squeeze money out of this thing that probably just isn't there to be squeezed anymore. And it's also possible that, you know, a lot of the time these companies are sort of incubated and they never really become viable, right? They never really get to the stage where everything's kind of working. And often you have startup companies and, you know, it doesn't doesn't quite work. You know, everything's not always firing on all cylinders. It just never reaches the sort of strength of one of those companies where, again, you know, everyone is seeing the vision. There's someone there to drive it. Everyone's kind of passionate about things, right? Everyone's sort of going in the same direction. It just sort of never gets there. Either way, right, the 
the problem is that often these things are not just linear directional problems. It's not necessarily a matter of like, oh, we just need to go in this direction versus that direction. It's really a matter of understanding like what's wrong with the machine that's creating these products. And I think that, uh, again, it, that really is about that sort of fundamental vision. I can't tell you, tell you the number of times that, again, I've been on some project or, or something and you can kind of tell that the general vision and the direction that things are going will either be, you know, switched midstream or they will just very much be based on whatever is the hot new thing, right? I remember this happened when Grand Theft Auto um, first came out, right? Like the open world version of Grand Theft Auto. I forget which one it was. I think GTA 3. And like everyone just wanted to do a, you know, open world um, sort of, you know, game that had a lot of racing and driving in it, right? Um, and I remember being on a few projects like that really early on, and that's just what everyone wanted to do. And I think that's where, again, the, the vision, the idea for that, and the willingness to kind of pull it through is maybe just not there, right? It's just uh, misunderstanding the, the scope that's involved there and the dedication that would be involved to kind of get that type of project to work. But nevertheless, that's kind of what everyone's doing. So you tend to have these situations where following these trends is very good from, um, you know, getting capital allocation, right? Like getting people to give you money to say, oh, we are going to be, you know, another game that's like GTA 3, um, you know, back in sort of PlayStation 2 days, that was like a really good thing to say. Whether or not you can actually do that, whether or not there is some vision for how to do that and make that good um, is a complete another question. But I think that's often why you get these kind of you know, also, also ran games and sort of copies and this kind of just kind of industrial sludge entertainment that kind of doesn't have any vision. So if we zoom out and just kind of unpack that idea of fixing symptoms, right, and addressing symptoms as opposed to causes, I think that, you know, you could look at a, a fundamental paradigm of us as people who want to create good entertainment as trying to create something that is fun. And I think creating something fun automatically should create a great set of incentives. Um, someone might want to buy something that's fun. And therefore, if lots of people buy that product, then everyone's happy. But it's also easy to make money from a product by making something addictive. And we sort of touched on that with the loot boxes. But often there are solutions here, which are more a matter of saying, oh, this product is not making money. How can we make it make more money? Well, it's it's not fun. But instead of fixing it and saying, let's make it fun, people fix it by saying, let's make it more addictive so that people can't stop playing it and thus, you know, can't stop, you know, giving money to, to the product. And I think that this really speaks to the idea that often, People who are trying to fix problems with companies, like fixing these larger structural problems with companies, again, when they get a little bit sick, when they kind of lose their way, lose that passion and focus and direction, it's very hard to fix them. And I think often what happens is that, you know, someone who is on the more executive sort of money side of things, they're often pretty creatively illiterate. And this is really, really important to understand is that the whole structure of creating something and the need for that vision, the need for that consistent sort of idea and drive and to keep everyone motivated. And, you know, the difference in productivity and, and, and the last 10% of quality you're going to get if everyone is really excited about what they're working on versus if everyone's kind of just like a bit sick of it, right? That's often the difference between these good products and these not good products. And 
I think most people are fairly illiterate or unaware of those problems within a company. They just don't understand what's going on there. It's a mystery. And so that's where the suggestions that are offered up are, are more at that kind of business level, right? Which again is fair enough. I mean, that's the sort of choice they make, but it doesn't often make good games. The problem is often it does make quite a bit of money though. So there's lots of these things that do actually work and things where people pursue these kind of ideas. And again, the sad thing is very frequently we see a lot of these things that are much more addictive than fun make huge, huge amounts of money. There's a lot of these big sporting franchises that make publishers, you know, huge amounts of money. And, and a lot of it is based on quasi-gambling essentially. So again, as artists, as creatives, we kind of have to sit in the middle of this and, and try and figure out how to navigate these things. But again, don't assume that just because someone is in a position of power to direct change within these sort of organizations, these organisms, that they know what they're doing. Most people are completely visually, creatively illiterate, right? They don't really understand what's going on. And the best way to explain it is you just, you're speaking a completely different language and they don't know it. The bottom line when it comes to redirecting these kind of large corporations and companies, and again, I don't have a lot of experience with this. I'm, I'm sort of touching on this and viewing it from the outside, but I think the, the real challenge is that you can't kind of think your way out of a problem you have behaved your way into, right? I think that's like one of the most magical sayings ever because it really speaks to the problem that is often there. It's very tricky to kind of strategize your way out of company culture or something sort of not quite going the right way or having sort of a lack of vision within a, a large structure like this. And again, from my experience, if you're working in one of these companies, it, it's kind of like it doesn't matter how much effort you put in. If the vision at the top is not really there, it kind of doesn't actually make it into the finished product. And that can be very frustrating. And I think as soon as that happens, everyone kind of loses a bit of interest. Like that's, uh, let's be honest. I think that's, uh, and that's not to say everyone does, but um, again, people either, you know, sort of lose interest and go start another company or they lose interest and just kind of turn off. But either way, I think it's important to understand that what makes these products work these like magical entertainment properties where we sort of look at a game or a film or something and we're like, wow, that's so good. What makes it so good is kind of ephemeral, right? It is a little bit magic to get a huge number of creative individuals together to make one of these things, especially in games where we have creative professionals who are not just artists. We have people who are artists. We have technical artists. We have people who are into game design. We have people who are into all sorts of little special niche genres that make these games work and, and really build. Um, and, you know, then you have a, a huge variety of sort of programmers and people who are fundamentally often mentally set up a little bit different. We, we think very different. The artist sort of coder mentality is a very different sort of beast. And making these things work together is very challenging. So either way, the, the way that it kind of works is often when it works, it's really magical. And um, again, it's something that you should really look for, essentially. Typically, the fixes that you're going to have for a company or direction, they're going to that are going to come from a little bit higher up are uh, very much what I would describe as kind of like hype or fashion 
It's whatever is sort of going around as like, this is the next big thing. Again, it's an open world game. Oh, it's a life services game. Oh, it has microtransactions. Um, oh, it has blockchain enabled. Oh, it has this. Oh, we've got AI enabled stuff now. And that's the thing that we're saying we're going to do in order to make it work. But these are just words and they don't ever really make anything work that well. Again, the reason I sort of bring this up is just to give us, a, you know, a, a few different experiences to kind of talk about and, and try and view these things that happen. So like the Baldur's Gate sort of drama, right? People being like, uh, oh, should all games be epic and should all games be small? And this is my take on it. If you're not someone who works in games is how much these really popular games, whatever they are, whatever the game is, whatever thing it, it has that's unique about it, completely abstract. It could be that it has purple frogs in it, right? Um, you see these things, it's got like, uh, you know, in NFTs, it's like a monkey. So everything, everything from then on has to be like a monkey NFT, right? It's like, oh, it's Angry Birds. Well, every mobile game's got to have a bird in it. I mean, this is how freaking stupid these people are, right? It's just like literally the most iconic surface level quality of something and people are just copying it being like, is that why this is good? That's not why it's good. But that is often what the executive um, money side of things sees, right? Because they're often just seeing that, right? And especially when you're in the free money era that we've kind of had, right? Um, you're not, there's not a lot of people who are really thinking that well. It's just kind of throwing money around. And I think the way I interpret the drama is a lot of people are saying like, oh no, man, this is what's going to happen. Baldur's Gate 3 is going to come out. It's going to crush. And then every executive, every person with money is going to say, oh, that game did well. And that game was like three or four times longer than every other game. So you just have to make your game longer and then it'll be successful. Right. And I think that's really the challenge. And, and that's sort of the, the stress and the tension. And I think the pushback that I see, or I, I would sort of interpret again, I have no real idea. I don't really work in any of these sort of companies or anything like that. But, you know, that's how I see it is that, uh, you know, people are worried that they're going to have to make three or four times more content just because that's now what is deemed to be a success or, or popular. And if you're a gamer or you're someone on the outside looking at this saying, you know, or you're wanting to work in the industry being like, what is going on? You know, is everyone just being lazy? No one wants to push things forward. It's so important to understand that the thing that makes all the projects and the products that we like good is it's not any of the surface stuff. It, it's having a good team, a good company, a good structure, a good, you know, series of people on the executive team that, that, understand what functions and what works and can have access to capital, understand how to navigate those contracts, get the creative control people need and, you know, execute on that vision. It's, it's people with an understanding for how to do all those complicated things and then make a really complicated game. That's what makes these things good. It's that someone had an idea for something that's good and they made it. There's no sort of formula for this. And I think that's so important to understand. It's very tricky to execute on or go in a direction that's someone else's direction. To sum it up, I think you can probably look at this as the, the fundamental tension between two working cultures. If you look at the more executive working culture, which is similar to, I would describe it, similar to more other office jobs, right? Where I think the goal is to not get fired. It's to kind of play it safe. So even though people are trying new things, what people are trying as suggestions for like, hey, our game is not working, 
Let's make it a live service game because that's really popular right now. Let's add crypto to it. Let's add AI to it. Let's make it look like World of Warcraft. Let's make it look realistic like this. These are things which are designed to help people keep jobs because you never get fired for doing what is popular right now. You never get fired for following what is an obvious trend, right? Because that's obvious. Hey, we were just doing this. You also never get fired for like combining two obviously popular things together, right? Which is something that often happens. Like, hey, we've got a live service game with AI, right? And now, oh, now I'll get all the money, right? No one's going to get fired for saying that. Um, it just doesn't work. I mean, it just that's just not how creating things functions. And if you compare that kind of culture to the culture of like the creative culture, which is, again, it's very much about understanding the craft and the process and what it takes and, and, and you know, trying to get all these people to kind of work together requires this vision. And the vision can't necessarily come from some mechanistic, uh, you know, this game is going to be the most popular because I've combined all the most popular elements. I think there has to be something deeper to it. There has to be like that auteur director um, and again, you know, I'm speaking from my fantasy artist, uh, you know, sort of perspective. So, you know, cut me a little bit of slack here. But I really do believe this, that there needs to be that sort of person somewhere um, or a group of people or an understanding of where we're going. Right. And and I think that needs to have some artistic intent to it. It needs to have a point. And these things, as someone who's an artist, and this is where, again, I think we can loop it back to us as artists, as individuals, is that. The companies need to do the same thing that we need to do, which is to have some reason for being, some passion, some purpose, some intent, some reason for this thing to exist. And I think without that, you rarely get a good product. You rarely get something that's really sort of interesting. Even again, if it's something like Baldur's Gate 3, where it's kind of like hearkening back to old RPG style, you know, systems. And, you know, it, it's it's not a new idea, but again, it's, it's staying the course and saying, well, this is what we want to make. And that is fundamentally risky. Being an artist is fundamentally risky. Making a movie, making a game, making an animation, making anything like this is fundamentally a risk. But nevertheless, we progress and we pursue these ideals and we just keep trying because, Again, that's what we're all doing, and it takes a lot of energy to do that. And I think it is that ability of good teams and companies and people and artists to kind of have this idea and pursue it despite setbacks and despite it maybe not being the best idea that often creates good products because I think that's often what people are responding to. You have something like Fortnite, which is a live services game, but people love it because it kind of works, right? It kind of exists and functions well as a live service game. And then you have games that are just single player games and people like those too, because there's an intent there. That's what they were designed to do. The real question and what I want to do with now when we think about takeaways, or what can we actually do is what do we do? So as usual, I have four different types of takeaways. The first here is an analytical takeaway. What can we view here analytically from a thinking perspective and just sort of say, okay, when we look at this stuff, how can we think about it? I think firstly, it's really important to understand that making these projects work is very hard. I think we can also view that making our own projects is hard. You making your own video game, your own little mini project is very challenging. And I've tried to do this my own, on my own. 
um, where I created board games through sort of Kickstarter campaigns where basically I was working with one other person, but we did the whole thing, right? The art, the production, sending it off to the printer, right? Like figuring out all of these different elements to it, proofreading it, like the whole thing. And yeah, it is a huge challenge to make one of these projects like that, which is a small project with a small amount of people is very challenging. The more you add people to one of these projects, the harder it becomes to create a good organism, a good structure, a good company sort of, uh, you know, sort of synergy is immensely complicated. And there is a little bit of magic to it. It needs the right mix of people operating in the right way. And you can't always just take someone out and put someone else in, right? It's very challenging to make that work. So at top line is just, this is very complicated. You should not enter any career or studio or anywhere and kind of imagine this is going to work, right? When it does work, there's a little bit of magic to it. And again, you know, that's something you should look for. The other thing that I think is really important to understand, I, I would say like on a factual level, is that when you are an artist or a creative professional, you're working in a production chain. You're working on a game, there is a chain of production and you're in there somewhere. So for as a concept artist, I'm creating concepts that are often based off a brief that someone is creating. And, you know, someone's creating that brief, they might have their own brief that's given to them by someone above them. And I'm trying to hand off that concept, get it sort of approved, make sure it fits the world, gets all the art direction right. And I'm trying to sort of then pass it off to the production side where someone's going to model it, animate it, rig it texture it, right? Put it in the world, make it function, right? And and again, we're all part of this chain. The reality is that working in those chains is very limited. Your ability to really move the needle anywhere is very challenging. So, you know, I think the best thing we can do when we're working in production is just to kind of, you know, figure out what we're doing and where we can add value and add a lot of value there. It's very hard to kind of move the overall larger structure or the company in any meaningful way, from my experience anyway. Um, I think you just have to acknowledge and understand that, right? That when you're working in a production chain, it's very hard to do anything else other than kind of, you know, help the people above you and below you as best you can. The third thing that's worth mentioning here is that AAA games and also I would say that the outsourcing side of AAA games is very commoditized to a certain degree. And it's these industries are very exposed to this type of thinking. There's so much kinetic energy on the money side and that can, you know, you can be in very rough waters, right? In terms of if the money tap gets turned off, um, you know, that there's a lot of games that get played um, behind the scenes in terms of the funding and how milestones are organized and, you know, payments are withheld and negotiations happen, right? It's a constant battle at the top of these companies to get the money flowing to make sure because these games cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make now. So look, it's challenging. And I think working in those production environments, again, sort of outsourcing from my experience is very similar, right? It's very trend-based. You are constantly fighting this thing where, again, you might be doing one thing. And again, if you're not in a really good company that has good creative direction, you can easily be kind of like zigzagging all over the place, right? And whatever's the next hot thing is kind of what, you know, everyone needs to, to work on. So again, um, 
you know, that's overstating things a, a little bit, but it's just important to understand that, you know, if you're working in an indie game studio, the people at the studio have a lot of creative control, right? You, you don't have to worry about these things quite as much, but working in these big production environments, um, yeah, you're very exposed to these larger sort of patterns and themes and um, sort of fashion items that come along, whatever's hot. Um, you know, you can find yourself doing that very, very soon, very quickly. And this can be anything from the level of detail you need to achieve, the style you need to achieve, the overall art direction or look you need to achieve, you know, obviously on the non-art side, you know, gameplay types, um, all these sort of different things, right? The, the way things look, everything can kind of be very, very based on what other people are doing. And uh, again, because you don't have a lot of control in the production environment, especially in these larger companies, um, that's just kind of part of how it is, right? Again, the analytical side of it is that's just how it is. If we want a simple takeaway, like a simple bro level, like how do we encapsulate this whole thing? I'd say, look, companies are like complicated systems. They're like organisms. You can't say things or just point them in a new direction and hope it to magically just go in that direction and kind of, you know, replicate some other success that looked similar. You need to really understand how that thing works if you want to change anything about it. All right. The third kind of takeaway I'm often looking at is what do we do? Like, What are some actual action steps that you could do to maybe understand these things better? The first thing that I have found really, really invaluable is to try and work on my own projects. Again, going back to being essentially the project manager on my own sort of comics, right? There's often um, an editor I would work with when I was working in French comics or something like that. But a lot of the responsibility and navigating all these problems of sort of art direction and what direction we're going to and do you have creative intent – and, you know, whether this thing is good or not, you know, and why. Um, you can learn a lot about that stuff by doing your own projects. Uh, I learned the same thing doing um, board games in, in Kickstarter projects. I really recommend it, even if it's just like, hey, you're going to create a 10-page art book and print it, right? There's something about understanding having an idea, turning it into a physical product and the challenges involved in that. And again, how important the vision is to that whole process. I think the more you do that, the more you're going to be able to see these things coming in your career and again, have empathy for people who are maybe again, making poor decisions um, that, you know, head everyone in a, in a bad direction. Who knows? Again, there's often reasons for this. There's often not a good answer to any of these things. And I think working on your own projects both gives you insight into that and helps you understand what's going on. And uh, also, I think it's just a great skill in general to have. Secondly, if you're looking at like, okay, what do we do here? I think the thing you have to realize is that it's so important if you are looking for a job in video games or anywhere else to really find people that you enjoy working with. I think that it's critical to find a company that is a good organism that is working well, that does function, that does have creative vision. And I think if you kind of believe in that vision and you work on a project like that, it can be a lot more fun, right? You can essentially be doing exactly the same thing, but because you feel that energy and because you feel that drive and the passion of the team and the people behind it, everyone's kind of working together, um, it's a very different experience in my, in my experience anyway. Obviously, it should be clear that AAA games and these bigger projects is not the best place to find, you know, a lot of really good vision and direction and intent. 
it's very challenging, right, to have one of these large companies that has hundreds and hundreds of people and have someone who can, you know, control all of that and have a vision that you believe in, right, that's going in the right direction that you, you want to join. And, you know, I think what a lot of people don't understand if they're sort of new to these industries is how much more fun you can have on smaller projects that maybe, you know, don't have quite the budget but you get a lot more input, you get a lot more creative control. And I think in general, they're a little bit more insulated from these type of, uh, you know, sort of drama things where, you know, again, you know, people are worried about, um, you know, what's happening over here in the industry because they know that all of a sudden these publishers and these people are going to, you know, come in and, you know, next next thing everyone's going to be having to do live service games or some other type of game or who knows what. Smaller studios are often a lot more rewarding to work for and a lot more um, creatively fulfilling, have a lot more creative freedom as a general rule. Again, it's also a little bit easier to spot who you're working with in a smaller studio because you often have access to the people who are actually making those decisions. So it's a little bit easier to see whether you vibe with them. And I think ultimately, again, the better you can you know, understand this whole situation when you are looking for a job the happier you will be. But I will say that often these large projects are a really good place to be if you do just want to stay in your lane and produce really high quality work. The thing that these AAA games, um, you know, high-end film, high-end animation allow you to do is really create good work because often, again, you know, there is some sort of creative direction and the expectation is that, you know, us as artists have to create the highest quality work possible. And it can be very refreshing to just know, like, look, like, I don't really care what I'm doing, but I want to make sure it's really, really good. I think there's a lot of people with this attitude. And in that case, I think these higher end projects are probably the best place to work in because, you always know you're going to get given the time. It's going to be hopefully, hopefully anyway, it's going to be budgeted, right? You're really going to be able to do your best work there. And I found that, right? If I'm working in sort of more independent animation, for example, you know, it's it's more about doing, you know, rougher stuff, like more things, more creative control. But, you know, again, we're never going for that sort of high level of finish. Whereas whenever I've worked on concept art for feature animation, you know, that's where I get like a whole week to do a single illustration, right? And then, you know, we finesse it and we get it sort of just right. And we think about all these ideas and, you know, there's something that's really fun about sort of being paid to try and get to that next level. Um, if that's something you're interested in, it's very, you know, good to be in a AAA game environment where you're going to be supported to do that, to get the, the next level of detail out of 3D or concept art or whatever. Okay, so... On a spiritual slash philosophical level, the last type of takeaway that I often like to contemplate, I think as a creative, if I look at this, this really is just the way of the world. This is like the same story that has been going on forever, right? We have the, you know, the artist, artist, the creative that I think is required in order to create great things, let's say. And then you have people who are, you know, very uncomfortable with that. They don't really understand it. And it's hard to make all these things work. It's just hard to make all these things work at the same time. That's just the bottom line. There's nothing really magical about it. It's just uh, a heavy lift, let's say. I think the most important thing is to understand where you sit on that spectrum. I think there's people who are very much more interested in craft than on ultimate self-expression. 
And if you are, if you know that you can work on a big AAA game and you can, you don't really care what it is or which direction it goes in, you know, there can be a huge amount of pleasure just designing things. And again, you know, as it changes and it goes from one thing to another, you're like, I don't care. I'm going to make this thing look absolutely awesome, right? It's going to look kick ass. I'm going to, you know, knock this one out of the park. I think there's a certain degree of like artist who doesn't really care what they're doing. They just, again, as I said before, they want to do a really good job on it. If you know you're that type of person, then I think it's really important to understand where you fit in this scheme, right? Because you can get paid really well to, you know, be that person. If you need more creative control, though, it's also important to understand, right, that if you can't stomach these kind of things that, you know, you just don't have to work there, right? There's lots of other options around to make sure that maybe you do have more creative control. But either way, I think it's hard to avoid just the fact that this happens and there's fundamentally these tensions. Um, maybe we'll figure out a better way to kind of like join the audience and the creator in the future. I think there's a lot of potential possibilities for that. We tend to be heading in a technological direction where the middlemen are getting cut out more and more. And I think if you take that to logical conclusion, uh, the people in the middle who are the money people are going to go, right? Um, it's just math, right? It's just the logic of it, right? They don't actually serve a purpose. You have people who are creating games, people who are, you know, wanting to buy games. And uh, anyone who's in the middle is is probably just going to be automated away. Um, that seems like super logical to me. So again, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but ultimately it, we might see some interesting things happen when it comes to that. That might change the landscape a little bit. But, you know, for now, this is very much just how the world is. I think that's all we got time for on this one. Little bit of a different sort of format of program. Again, as I said, let me know in the comments down below or send me an email if you're viewing this on a podcast platform, what you thought of this episode. Does it help to think about these ideas in, again, a little bit more of an abstract way? Maybe you can use these ideas to, you know, think through your career options a little bit better. That's my goal anyway. But as I said, let me know what you think down below. Other than that, catch you around on the next one.